Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Magic Kingdom. I feel so honored that they would ask me to speak on this subject. I get to shoot twice at it now. Talking about Fantasyland today, but same with the subject of the Magic Kingdom. Fantasies are a product of our creative minds, and they may be imagined ideas, stories, visual arts, inventions, fictional scenarios, or anything else that we could possibly envision. You and I have the ability to mentally create things because we're made in the image and the likeness of the ultimate creator. So having an imagination is not sinful. Imagining or fantasizing about things that are pleasing to God is really wonderful and a great way to connect with our creator. But just like all other activities in life, It's very important that we ensure that our fantasies have a good and righteous intention behind them. Otherwise, they can be sinful. How many of you have ever had a tough day? How many of you have ever heard the old expression, that's enough to make a preacher cuss? Well, Solomon stopped short of cussing in this passage I'm going to read, but he didn't stop much short of it. He is having a very frustrating day in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all of his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abides forever. The sun arises and the sun goes down. It hasteneth to the place where it arose. The wind goeth to the south, then it turns to the north and whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to its circuits." All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is never filled. Under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot even utter it. The eye is not satisfied with its seeing. The ears never filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything or anyone that can say, look here, here's something new. He said, it's already been done in times of old before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of the things that are to come with those that shall come after. So he just relents in his frustration and discouragement and finally he gets to chapter 3 the preacher he said to everything there is a season a time 
to every purpose under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. There is a divinely implanted sense of a purpose that works within your bosom and within mine as Christians and believers that allows us to live beyond the frustration of the preacher. David said to God the Father at one point in Psalms 139 and 16, he said, God, your eyes have seen my unformed body. And all of the days that are ordained for me were written in your book before I ever lived out one of them. In other words, Father, you knew me in eternity before I ever existed. The Father told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 and 5, he said to Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb or belly in the King James, I knew you. Before you were in her belly, I knew you. God said to Jeremiah, And before you came forth out of her womb, I had sanctified you already and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Matthew 10 and 30, Jesus said the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Paul said known unto God are all of his works from before the beginning of the world. You you know, when the preacher says vanity, vanity, all is vanity and vexation of the spirit, that's kind of heavy language for an Alabama guy. And so I try to translate things into Alabama vernacular. So let me put it this way about four different questions. Have you ever eaten a really big meal I mean, I hope I can say this. I love everybody, like Chinese. And then you were hungry, like an hour after you got through eating. You ever had a good cold drink of water? And 15 minutes later, you were thirsty again. You ever had the most peaceful, restful night of sleep you've ever had? And you get up and you feel so energized and you feel so good. And a few hours later, you're completely wore out and need to rest. Anybody here? Can you relate to any of this? You see, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, winter goes, summer comes, summer goes, winter comes, and it seems like that it is relentless. And the preacher, not living in that divinely implanted sense of a purpose at the particular time of this writing, vents all of the frustration of life. But I want you to know to everything there is a season. 
And that's what I'm talking about today. To everything there is a season. Because when you understand the divinely implanted sense of a purpose that God implanted into your spirit at the salvific experience, when you received salvation and became a child of God, that divinely implanted sense of a purpose that he placed within you becomes an impetus and a driving force for everything that you will do in life, driving you toward the ultimate destiny that God has for all of his children. You see, each and every one of us are seeking answers to life in almost every arena. The lost, the found, the believers, the unbelievers, the saved, the unsaved, it doesn't matter. We all want to understand the purpose of life. But for you and I, as believers who have that divinely implanted sense of a purpose from the day we receive Christ into our life, it is simple. It is the righteous king living and dwelling in his kingdom. That is the divinely implanted sense of a purpose. In Revelation 1 and 8, Jesus appeared to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And he said to John, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. I'm Jesus first and Jesus always. He said, I am sovereignly God. I sovereignly transcend all the days of your life, every activity of every day of your life. I'm the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, self-sufficient, self-existent, and self-sustained God. And as Christians, we can by revelation understand who he is and understand this divinely implanted sense of a purpose that is on the inside of us. It is a deposit of God from the moment of salvation that becomes the impetus and the driving force for everything you and I as believers will do in life. And it is spiritually revealed. It's revealed by his word and it's revealed by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And I need that because I have rejected all of the philosophies of life and the ideologies of life and secularism and humanism and Darwinism and existentialism and atheism and pragmatism. I've rejected them all. I don't receive them as my worldview. I don't receive them as my identity. And everyone seems to have an idea about God today. Ideation is everywhere. Everybody's got an idea about God. And in this earthly existence, there's only one overruling concept, only one central focalization that transcends all of the philosophies of life. And it is the righteous king living in his kingdom in your heart and in my heart. That is the one overwhelming concept that brings central focalization to us. It is a transcendent God 
living in a transcendent kingdom. Can I get you to use your imaginations for a moment? Let's look at a little bitty tiny circle. And in that little bitty tiny circle, there is the king of righteousness seated in his kingdom. So you have the king in his kingdom. And around that little tiny circle is a big circle. And within that big circle is everything else, religious and spiritual. In my lifetime of 40 plus years pastoring, can I just say these are the things that I have lived through. Pentecost, been there, done that. Happy, love it, wouldn't change it if I could. The holiness movement, experienced it, saw it. The healing movement, the latter rain movement, the discipleship movement, positive confession, faith, faith churches, faith people, word churches, word people, laughter, joy, prosperity, falling down, prayer rockers. I've lived through it all. I've seen it all. Remember, little bitty circle, king of righteousness in his kingdom, big circle, all these other things. But here is the problem. The body of Christ for a hundred years has continually been trying to locate sinner. And so in the sinner where the righteous king and the kingdom of God goes, you've had the message of Pentecost You've had the message of holiness, healing, latter rain, discipleship, positive confession, faith, word, laughter, prosperity, falling down, and other things. And it's become the focal point. I'm a word man. I have a word church. I'm a faith man. I have a faith church. I'm a healing man. We have a healing church. The church has been trying for a hundred years to locate sinner and they've missed it. it. It doesn't take you five minutes to be around a person, a group, or a parachurch ministry to find out what their sinner is. It's the first thing they'll start talking about. But we believe and here they go. John 6.33 Jesus said, seek ye, let's say it, seek ye, say it again, seek ye, seek ye first. Pentecost, wholeness, healing, latter rain, discipleship, positive confession, faith, word, laughter, baptism, prosperity, falling down, rocking in prayer. No, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteous king and all of these things shall be added into you, unto you in proper context. The problem is context. When any one of them is the center of your life in the spirit, you're out of context. You're off center. And for many of us to center up, we've got to decenter. We gotta take some of these things out of the center. They're no longer the center. I had somebody a week ago tell me I'm a church man. 
That's weird. I don't know if I ever met a church man. Jesus talked about the church twice, only twice. He spoke of the kingdom 108 times. If you're going to be something, buddy, be kingdom man. You'll be closer to Jesus if you'll be a kingdom man and not a church man. I'm not a Pentecost man. I'm not a holiness man. I'm not a healing man. I'm not a positive confession man. I'm not a faith man, a word man, a laughter man, a prosperity man, a falling out man. I'm a Jesus man. The righteous king and his kingdom. You've got to decenter and get the sinner right. When you get the sinner right, all these things. See, it's not a matter of bad. It's a matter of context. You've got things out of context. Proper centering helps achieve contextual stabilization. In other words, you get things in context and it brings stability into your life and then everything fits and everything is right because the righteous king and his king kingdom is the center of all the other things that he adds in perfect harmony and perfect stability. This divinely implanted sense of a purpose. You remember when Jesus was with the disciples in Matthew 16 and 16? He looked at the disciples and say, and asked them a question. He said, who do all the people say that I am? What are they saying about me? One of them said, well, a lot of them believe you're Elijah. And a lot of them believe you're John the Baptist. Then Jesus looked at the apostle Peter and he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Peter, just staring straight into his eyes with no hesitation, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, looking him in the eyes still, said to him, Peter, flesh and blood, your sharp mind, your sharp intellect, all of the facts that you've gathered, all of your great little quotes, all of your degrees have not revealed this unto you. Flesh and blood hadn't revealed it. But my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed it to you. The righteous king and his kingdom is a revelation. Many believers think that you just get saved and then you find out about the kingdom and start learning about the kingdom just like you'd go to school and worked on, work on a doctoral degree. It doesn't happen that way. At the point of salvation, when you receive the king, you receive a revelation of his kingdom. You can't get the king without the kingdom. I said you can't have the king without the kingdom. They go together. The king lives in his kingdom. The kingdom exists. The king exists in his kingdom. You see, spiritual truth comes by revelation. Your mind is not sharp enough. Your degrees are not great enough. 
the revelation of the righteous king and his kingdom is beyond your mind. It's beyond and greater and deeper than all the facts and knowledge that you gather and all the information that you might have. And when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he was saying, seek a kingdom philosophy of life. And when you do, you'll put the kingdom first. And when you put the kingdom first, you will realize that there are a Opposing, there is an opposing kingdom coming against you and the more vivid that the kingdom of God becomes in your life, the more vivid the opposing kingdom of the world will become in your life. And many think that these kings, when they die, that their kingdoms die with them. They do not. Karl Marx is ruling his kingdom of communism from the grave. Darwin is ruling his kingdom of evolution from the grave. Antichrist philosophies are ruling their kingdoms from the grave. C.S. Pierce and William Jones or James are ruling their philosophy of pragmatism from the grave. Pragmatism is a method which determines the meaning and the truth of all concepts and tests their validity by their practical results. Pragmatism asks one question only, does it work? If it works, it's valid. If it works, it's true. If it doesn't work, it's invalid. And if it doesn't work, it's untrue. That's what pragmatism is. We can all be pragmatic, but let's never put the ism on the end of it because the ism on the end of it simply means how does it feel to me? Am I blessed by it? Do I agree with it? Do I like the way it sounds? Does it make me happy? That's pragmatism. And quite frankly, God has never done anything that he's done with you in mind. God has never done anything that he's done with me in mind. God has done what's right. God has given us truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I give you truth. I give you what is right. You have to deal with it. See, in pragmatism, judgments are made on a truly subjective basis. Does it draw a crowd? Does it pay off? Does it make me happy? Does it bring me prestige? Does it give me things? Does it feel good to me? Is it causing me to grow? Is it blessing me? But here's the subtlety of that. All of these things can be evidenced in Christianity. So you know what that means? If we're not careful as Christians, we'll become pragmatists and we'll live by pragmatism and not principle. The righteous king and his kingdom, everything's by principle. That's the center. The outer circle is pragmatism. Does it look good to me? Does it sound good to me? Does it feel good to me? Do I feel better about myself? You know, kind of, can I put it this way? Some of you may be getting a little antsy right now. Please don't get antsy. 
just listen carefully? Can I just put it this way? It's kind of like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I agree with what that preacher said today. I didn't feel good about that. That didn't sound right to me. You know, Jesus in John 60, he was going to teach a little lesson about being the bread of life. He knew the tradition of the Jewish people. He knew that to them it was the most heinous thing in the world to eat flesh or drink blood. But he was so politically correct and so tolerant and cared so much about their feelings that when he got ready to teach on being the bread of life, here's the way he said it. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Well, that didn't make me feel very good. I don't think he meant that for my good. I don't think I like that. See, they were all pragmatist. You know what the Bible says? They said to Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And from that point forward, many of them turned away and walked with him no more. You know why? It, did, it didn't make them look good. It didn't make them feel good. It didn't make them feel better about themselves. It didn't sound right. Can I just suggest to you that God has never done anything that he's ever done with you or me in mind? Can I just suggest to you that God has never said anything no matter how true it was with you or me and mine. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're full. You've got all this whitewash on the outside like you're all spiritual. You're full on the inside of dead men's bones. You're hypocrites and you're all snakes. You see, God isn't nearly as concerned about making you happy as he is about making you holy. Not nearly as concerned. So the righteous king and his kingdom is the center. It's the divinely implanted sense of a purpose that's within all of our hearts. And then the outer circle is all these things that shall be added in contextual focalization and structure to where they all fit like a big puzzle. And see what? There's still a, a time to plant, a time to pluck up. There's still a time uh, 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 to, to mourn and a time to laugh. There's still a time to kill and a time to steal. There's still a time to love and a time to hate. There's still a time of war and there's still a time of peace. But when you've got the, the righteous king and the kingdom at the center of your being, then all of these things fit into a place that does not harm you and does not hurt you and you have victory in spite of all the things of life because he is the sovereign God that is over all things. So one of these two philosophies, pragmatism or principle, is governing every decision you make. Some of you are going to decide whether or not you like what I've said today. Preach on, Brother Gary. 
And you know what you're going to do? You're going to decide it as a pragmatist or you're going to decide it on principle and you're going to say, well, it was the word of God. And I already know some of you because I do know a few verses of scripture myself. Some of you are saying, yeah, but the Bible says speak the truth in love. Well, let me tell you something. When I come to you and I tell you I love you, really do love you, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you're going to destroy your family, your marriage, your kids. You're going to lose your job. You're going to destroy your whole life. Did you know that love kind of gets covered up in that, no matter how much love I say it with? Because you know what? The truth and what's right never has felt good to the flesh, and it never will feel good. So if you're going to be a pragmatist, you're going to judge everything by how did it make me feel. My son just wrote a new book called Jesus First, Jesus Always. You know what the alternative is? Me first and me always. That's the alternative. So I can speak the truth in love. But can I just say this? I'm not going to make you feel any better. So Jesus just spoke the truth. It was in love. He just spoke the truth. And if they were hypocrites, he said, hey, you're a hypocrite. If you were a big phony, he said, hey, you, you're like put white paint all over the outside of you to look pure. And inside, you're just rotten to the core. He just said it to their faces. I'm not saying we need to go out and do that. I'm just saying that the truth is always going to be the truth. And what's right is always going to be right. And you can either live by the righteous king and his kingdom or you can live by pragmatism. Pragmatism is about how you feel. So this divinely implanted sense of a purpose that is in my heart and is in your heart cannot be satisfied with feel good, feels good. It can't be satisfied with feels good. Oh, that feels good. Because most of the things that help me don't feel good. That's why the Bible said that the word of God is instruction and correction in righteousness. How many of you ever, when you were being corrected by your parents, went, oh, it feels good, it feels good. It never felt good, but it produces righteousness. Pragmatist rejected out of hand because it doesn't feel good. If it's anything less than what is right, then you don't have the principled life. And a kingdom philosophy interprets my life. A kingdom philosophy interprets my life. Feelings don't interpret my life. Results don't interpret my life. How things work out don't interpret my life. How things look do not interpret my life. Whether it seems good to me doesn't interpret my life. Whether it's pleasing to the crowd does not interpret my life. What interprets my life is the righteous king and his kingdom. You know, I grew up in a church 
that was Pentecostal, and I don't know if you know much about Pentecostals, but they emote. They love emotion. And they emote. And so if you went to church and somebody didn't dance and somebody didn't jump and somebody didn't run and if somebody didn't break out into their prayer language right in the middle of the pastor's sermon, you didn't have church. I mean, literally, everybody would say it. Well, it was kind of dead today. Yeah, what was dead? Well, the pastor preached on regeneration and eternal salvation, dead as a doornail. Well, if you had listened, maybe you would have got something out of it. Never saw anybody run fast and hit a wall and get anything out of it. Never saw anybody jump and really get anything out of it, dance and really get anything out of it. Break into their prayer language right in the middle of the sermon. I've never really got anything out of it. But every time I've ever zeroed in on the word of God and listened to his word, I've always got something out of it. So, if you're judging things that didn't make me feel good, I don't feel, I don't feel blessed by what happened today or I don't feel blessed by, I don't think I, 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 me first, me always, then your judgments are all made on a wrong standard. You've got something in that little circle other than the righteous king and his kingdom. Because when he's in it, you don't feel good. Can I close with a simple thought? I'm a creationist and I believe in creation. I believe God created the earth, this planet, and spun it into outer space, started its its rotation and its orbit. And then the Bible said he reached down and took a couple of hands full of dirt and fashioned them. Fashioned one handful of dirt to a man. Then he took a rib from that man and fashioned a woman. And he placed them on this planet. Can you imagine all the animals, all the plant life, everything that was there? He placed them. He placed them on this spinning planet, orbiting. That'd be a little overwhelming. Just you and your sidekick that you hadn't even got to know yet. And then he looked at both of them and said, you know, already got the animals, all the plant life, all the vegetation, everything's intact. He looked at them and said, take dominion over this. Big planet spinning in orbit. Just me and my brand new sidekick. And the God of the universe says, take dominion over, over all of it. I give you dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every moving thing and every creature upon the planet, over everything animate, 
everything inanimate. I give you dominion over it all. Kingship, rulership, authority. I give it all to you. Now take it and rule it. Wow, that'd take a long time, wouldn't it? Except for the fact that God put this fountainhead in the middle of the garden. And the Bible says out of it flowed four rivers from the one fountainhead. One of the north, south, east, and the west. I believe they were directional. And I believe they were meant to carry the descendants of Adam and Eve throughout the earth to colonize the earth for his kingdom. There's this great kingdom, this God, who wants to take the greatness of his kingdom and begin to colonize the universe, chooses a planet, spins it into outer space, puts it in orbit, puts two people on it, says, here's what I want you to do. Daunting. Then all of a sudden, there's another voice. Did, did, I hear, did I hear him right? Did God say to you that if you do this, do you not know that if you just eat this fruit over here, he doesn't want you to know this, but you will become as a God and you will know right from wrong just like he does. And instead of taking this slow process of dominion over everything, you can immediately become a God and do it instantly. And it'll make you feel so good about yourself. So from day one, there's been the king, the righteous king and his kingdom. And there's been the great pragmatist, which will judge your life. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.